Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to begin today just by hearing God's Word read. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we have read and listened to your holy word. Teach us, show us, lead us, convict us, comfort us by the working of your spirit in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to direct our attention to this last verse, actually the last half of the last verse that was read. They left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Let, let me say it a third time. They left everything and followed him. Are you kidding me? I, I've been told recently that a response I have to many things is, you've got to be kidding. Um, I'm going to try to back off on that. It probably insults the speaker more than I realize. Um, but are you kidding me? They left everything and followed him. They did what? Well, so far in Luke, we've seen Jesus teaching with authority. We've seen him exercise power by performing miracles, both 
casting out demons, healing the sick, and all the while proclaiming the kingdom of God. And, and here in our text, we're going to see Jesus begin to call people to follow him. Now that must have been some kind of encounter that Peter, James, and John, and most likely Andrew had with Jesus. I mean, Jesus must have made some kind of impression, made quite the impact. Now, how did it come to this? How did it get to the point when Peter and others would leave everything to follow Jesus? Um, I often hear that um, when I hear of a marriage falling apart or a business relationship ending. You ask, how did it get to this point? What happened? We didn't see it coming. How did it end up here? Well, we're going to look at that today for the next few minutes. We're, we're going to see how it came to the point that they would leave everything and follow Jesus. Now, in many Bibles, probably the one you've got in your hands, there's an editorial title for this section, and it's something along these lines, Jesus Calls the First Disciples. Now, although the word disciple or discipleship are not in the text, I, I think this title captures well what is happening. And so for the next few minutes, uh, let's together unpack and explore what God wor God's Word tells us about what some of what what is the kind of person who's a disciple of Jesus? Now, a, a disciple of Jesus is someone who, first of all, listens to Jesus. Listens to Jesus. Um, before we actually think about listening to Jesus, let's step back, uh, let's step up for a moment and, and talk about disciples and discipleship. Uh, a disciple. Well, rabbis, Jewish Formerly installed teachers had disciples, and a disciple means, at its most basic level, a pupil, a learner. A disciple is a pupil of a teacher. It's a student of a teacher. And even though Jesus wasn't, at this time, officially recognized as a teacher or a rabbi, or never was, his associates, those who trailed along with him, became known as disciples. And broadly, we see in Scripture that a disciple is... Uh, all of, is a person who responds to his message. Uh, more narrowly, it, it's those who accompany him on his travels, and especially as we will see as Luke uh, uh, develops the, the narrative, we will see that when you hear disciple, it especially applies to those 12 men he named apostles. Now, at the end of Matthew, most of us have heard the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Make people who are learners, who are students, followers of Jesus. Because the Christian life is a life, at its most basic sense, is a life of discipleship. Being discipled by Jesus and helping others be discipled by Jesus. So a disciple is a learner. And to be a learner, you first of all got to be a listener. Look at the crowd in general. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, 
to hear the word of God from Jesus. They're pressing in on him. They are so eager to hear the word of God. Luke's already told us that Jesus is speaking like not the other teachers. He's speaking as one who has authority. There's something about what Jesus says and how he says it. They, they want to hear the word of God. This crowd is listening to the word of God and he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now it's interesting, uh, it's hard to pronounce that. Uh, it's kind of the Gentile name. It's most, most known as the Sea of Galilee. Most of your other times it's gonna be talked about as the Sea of Galilee and several of the commentators I think uh, maybe landed on why does Luke call it a lake and not a sea, Right? Well, remember in Acts, Luke accompanies Paul, right? On the Mediterranean Sea, he can see the difference between the Mediterranean Sea and the lake here. So it's kind of a neat thing, a little tidbit to say, you know, Luke is accurate. He's trying to portray the most accurate uh, narrative to to, uh, encourage and um, reassure and convince Theophilus and us. So Jesus steps away from land, he gets a hold of a boat, and that boat becomes a pulpit, and the water becomes the sound system. We didn't have to get Tom, he didn't have to get Tom Rutledge to install like worship resources, you know, a new sound system. He's got the Lake of Gennesaret, he's got the Sea of Galilee, the water acting as the microphone. And for those of you that have been around water, you know water can do that. Before we go on, notice Jesus has acquired Peter's boat. Peter and the others are off mending their nets, washing their nets, and Peter just gives permission, most likely, for Jesus to step into that boat. He's already serving Jesus. He's already serving Jesus. But let's look at Peter in particular. Let's uh, go down a little bit. And when he had, picking up in verse four, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter is listening to Jesus and we know how it unfolds. He's going to He's not just going to listen, but he's going to do what Jesus says. So a disciple is someone who listens to Jesus. A disciple is someone who listens to God's word. In the midst of a lot of other noises, a lot of other sounds, a lot of other voices, A disciple, a learner of Jesus, a follower of Jesus is listening to him. And we listen to him now through the word by the spirit. So my friends, how are you doing listening? Listening. You know, James says what? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. How are you doing when it comes to listening? Well, a disciple of Jesus is someone who not only listens to Jesus, but he also 
obeys Jesus. You just heard what Jesus said to Jesus. Let's see how Peter responds. Again, Jesus says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, for those of you that appreciate irony, you should already be picking up on something going on here, right? Jesus, the son of a carpenter, right? Really good in the shop, right? Building things, fixing things. And what is he doing right now? He's telling a professional fisherman how to fish. Is Jesus out of his league? Is Jesus out of his area of expertise? Peter, we see, trust the word of Jesus more than his own experience and his own expertise. You know, although scripture doesn't tell us everything, we already know now Peter is familiar with Jesus, right? Jesus healed his mother-in-law when she had that debilitating fever. Peter's also been around when all kinds of people came to his mother to his house to be healed. Peter is not a stranger to Jesus. He is familiar with Jesus. He knows Jesus of Nazareth. He's been, as it were, favorably impressed by Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, at this moment, he's going to make the decision to trust the word of Jesus more than his own experience, right? More than his own experience and more than his own expertise. I mean, they knew where to fish. They know when to fish. You fish at night, close to the shore. That's where the fish are. You don't fish in the daytime in the deeps. That's not where you're going to find fish, but at your word. Let's think for a moment about the relationship between listening and obeying. You can't have one without the other when you really think about what it means to listen. Uh, Go forward with me into Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus tells those who follow him, listening, really listening, means obeying. Two men hear, one listens. One house stands and the other house is ruined. And a couple chapters after that, We read these words, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he, that is Jesus, answered them, 
my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. And then later, James, the half-brother of Jesus, would say it like this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The relationship between listening and doing is so fused that it can't be separated, try as we may. So a disciple not only listens to Jesus, but obeys Jesus, obeys the word of God. Now, I'm going to ask this question, and um, no need to say it out loud, but just maybe say it to yourself. How are you doing when it comes to obeying? Jesus, obeying the word of God. You know, the Christian life is not you obey and you get right with God. The Christian life is you are declared right with God and you obey. The order is significant. All religion is do and live and Jesus brings the dead to life and he says live and because you're alive, do Do good. Do those things which please my Father and help others. Now by listening to Jesus and by obeying Jesus, we see that a disciple is also someone who begins to recognize themselves. Maybe it's kind of like looking in the mirror. A disciple is someone who recognizes themselves. Now, is that strange to to say you've got to recognize yourself. Um, I thought God was the most important. You should always start with God, then get to self. Well, none other than John Calvin in his world-renowned Stood the Test of Time, Institutes of the Christian Religion, in book one, chapter one, is entitled, The Knowledge of God and That of Ourselves Are Connected. How Are They Interrelated? Now listen to the titles of the first two sections. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. What Calvin is saying is you start with self and you'll get to God. If you start with God, you'll get to self. So it doesn't matter where you begin because you'll get to the same place. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self. You know the story. Peter and the others did what Jesus said. And what happens is the the fish haul of amazing amounts such that the boats were almost sinking, the nets were breaking. Not only did they get a little fish, a little amount of a little fish, they got lots of fish. They got lots. It's an astonishing catch of fish. It's both successful and near disaster. And with this, Peter recognizes, begins to recognize Jesus as not only somebody who who heals, he sees somebody as someone who is in control of nature, 
who can cause such a catch of fish that they had never seen. He knows enough, Peter is a Jew, he knows enough about God's holiness. He's familiar with Isaiah. He, he knows enough that he recognizes that he is in the presence not only of a healer, not only of a teacher, but he is, he is in the presence with the holy creator, the one over all nature. And, 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 and thus, in just getting a glimpse of the holiness, the separateness of this man, Jesus, Peter recognizes himself. He recognizes that he is unworthy to be in God's presence. Look with me at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He goes from recognizing Jesus as master to using the word that thus far in Luke has been attributed to God himself, O Lord. We heard in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 6, chapter 5, the prophet Isaiah, when exposed to the holiness of God, says, Woe is me, for I am lost. Woe is me, for I am lost. Job, remember? How did God describe Job? There's no one more righteous. Have you considered my righteous servant, Job? Job 42. God says, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is not unprecedented. We've got Isaiah, we've got Job, and now Peter. Depart from me. Peter knows he's at risk. He's scared to death. How does Peter respond to this recognition at first of Jesus, this recognition of himself? What's his response? Well, let's put it very simply. Jesus, go away. Jesus, go away. Has that ever been... Your response to being awakened to who God is and who you are? God, go away. I can't be in your presence. You are God, I am not. I think it would be easier, God, if you would go away because I can't run away fast enough. How are you doing right now in recognizing who you are. You know, it's interesting. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It's not a recognition. Depart from me because here's a list of my sins. Depart from me, for I sin in thought, word, and deed by what I do and what I don't do. No, he says something even more comprehensive. For I am a sinful man. 
Well, let's continue because in recognizing Jesus and, and thus themselves, a disciple is someone who's being put in a place to receive from Jesus. And so a disciple is someone who not only recognizes themselves and, of course, recognize Jesus, but they receive from Jesus. Now, if you were paying attention to the story, you see where Jesus offers something, right? The immediate answer is easy to see. Jesus offers a purpose. He offers a mission. You know, this, this miracle witnessed is, is a picture of the mission presented. We see that, right? From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. Hey, there's a purpose. There's a mission. And it's interesting with this picture of catching fish to kill, this is going to be not catching to kill, but catching to help bring new life through the proclamation of the gospel as Peter would on the day of Pentecost talk about a harvest of fish, talk about the nets almost breaking and the boats almost sinking. So that's the immediate answer. It's easy to see. You want purpose in life? Jesus will give you a purpose. You want a mission in life? Jesus will give you a mission. But what may not be so easy at first to see, but is way more foundational, way more important, way more significant, way more life-giving and life-sustaining, is that Jesus offers himself. Jesus, yes, he offers a purpose. Yes, he offers a mission, but Jesus offers himself. So what is that word from Jesus in response to the request for him to depart? Remember, basically, Peter says, Jesus, go away. And how does Jesus respond? Well, not like me. Probably not like you. He says, do not be afraid. Because guess what? Peter is in a position just like Isaiah was to be very, very afraid, knowing his life is at risk. Don't be afraid. Now, in December, we're going to hear some things that angels said to Zechariah and angels said to Mary and a couple of times they said, do not be afraid. And here's the first time it's from the lips of Jesus. Do not be afraid. You see, Peter's beginning to get to know the one who proclaims good news to the poor and liberty to the captives, the one who gives sight to the blind and frees those who are oppressed. He's beginning to get to know him. Dale Ralph Davis, an Old Testament scholar and a retired PCA minister, says this. What overwhelmed Peter was not a devastating view of God's holiness, but an experience of the overwhelming goodness and kindness of Jesus. That's worth a repeat. Because Peter is overwhelmed. But what overwhelmed Peter was not a devastating view of God's holiness, but an experience of the overwhelming goodness and kindness of Jesus. 
don't be afraid. You see, Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intrude into your everyday work of being a fisherman. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead and direct you to fish for men and women and boys and girls. And for those of you who know the story, Peter actually doesn't leave fishing because we see him at the end of some of the books, what, fishing. Do not be afraid. I love you. I'm going to give you new life. And I'm going to call you to help give new life through my word and spirit to others. So when you encounter God through his word by his spirit, are you mainly overwhelmed by his glorious, majestic holiness? Notice I said the word mainly, because we should be overwhelmed by the holiness of God. We read in Hebrews that he is a... um, unquenchable, I mean, he's uh, all-consuming fire. But we are also to be overwhelmed by the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Christians are people who are overwhelmed. The weight of God's holiness nearly sinks the boat of a Christian, but the weight of God's goodness and kindness and mercy and grace surely sinks the boat of pride and arrogance that we build. So so how is it possible for someone to leave everything behind and follow Jesus? How? How? Well, a disciple of Jesus who is someone who, among other things, listens to Jesus, obeys Jesus, recognizes themselves as they recognize Jesus, and they receive from Jesus. Discipleship with Jesus is lifelong. You know, a disciple doesn't know everything. Why? Because a disciple is a learner. But a, a disciple knows enough to follow Jesus. Did you hear that? A disciple doesn't know everything, but a disciple knows enough. Enough to see the grace and the goodness and the kindness and the mercy that we find in Jesus. Luke does not tell us this story for us to admire fish, but rather to see Jesus. He shows us that Jesus is not only competent to catch fish, but gracious to accept sinners. You see, Peter, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord, go away. And what is Jesus' response? No way. I'm not going away. You're coming with me. When you sin, and we all do, do you want to run away from Jesus or do you want to run to Jesus? 
Because Jesus is saying here, run to me. Because guess what? Even sometimes if you can't run to me, I'm going to run to you. I want to end with just a few words from others. A couple of songwriters, a martyred missionary. John Newton. We all know John Newton. I hope you remember this quote. When I was young, I was sure of many things. Now there are only two things of which I am sure. One is that I'm a miserable sinner and the other is that Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. He is well-taught who learns these two lessons. That's Peter. He's beginning to see that he is a miserable sinner, and he's beginning to see that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. Before we get to that other songwriter, let's, let's go to a missionary Jim Elliott, born in 1927, died in 1956, martyred along with several others on the mission field in around Quito, Ecuador. This is probably his most famous words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Peter is going to get old, and one day he's not going to be able to fish, right? And maybe the storm's going to come, and his boat's going to sink, and his employees are going to strike or whatever. And and, and Peter's fishing vocation is going to be over. Peter is leaving something that he can't keep, and he's gaining something that he will never lose, a relationship with God through Faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the year after Jim Elliott died, in 1957, uh, there was a man born somewhere, I think, in Tennessee, but he was educated in Bowling Green, Kentucky, at Western Kentucky University. And in 1994, he, he wrote this song called Things We Leave Behind. Look at verse 11. They left everything and followed him. Here's what Michael Card writes. There sits Simon, so foolishly wise. Proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls and the boats drift away. All that he owns, he forgets. More than the nets he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away. It's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind do you all find freedom in giving up everything for Jesus or do you think freedom is found in holding on to things tightly because the call of Jesus is just too risky too dangerous too uncertain My friends, Jesus left everything, heaven itself, to seek and to save the lost. 
All those he seeks and saves, those who once were lost but now are found, follow him. And all of those who follow him, those who deny themselves, who take up their crosses, find freedom. They find freedom from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. And they find freedom to love and to serve. And they find a faithful Savior who will never leave them for anything. Let's pray. Father, it really is hard to believe these words. They left everything and followed him. Oh, Father, would you give us such a view of Jesus through your word, by your spirit, that we would see him as more beautiful and more believable than anyone or anything. So that it becomes the most natural thing of all to leave everything behind and follow Jesus, knowing that we are safe and secure with him. Father, thank you that Jesus left everything to rescue us. Help us to leave everything to follow him. For we pray in his name. Amen.